Thank you so much. It is a real joy and a privilege, and I would say twice the privilege to be here today. Uh, first, it is uh, a, one the, the greatest honor of my life to be able to preach the word of God to the Lord's people. And I'm thankful for the Lord's grace given me to, to find me faithful, to entrust me with that calling and with that responsibility. But second of all, it is a great blessing to be here in light of the fact that it wasn't straight from Russia that I hailed uh, upon you this uh, morning. And um, so if we, if we can put up the slides, uh, the, I was tasked with two tasks today. Uh, the first one is to, in 10 minutes, explain how I got here, kind of a little overview of my journey. Uh, and then uh, we will turn our attention directly to the word of God today. So I'm thinking maybe, oh, there it is, great. So I think the slide presentation is working here and unfortunately for the people who are watching the stream, <coughs> the slides, we didn't get them um, on time for the preparation. So unless you're watching uh, the stream, you should be able to see everything here, but the rest of you, uh, sorry about that. So grace to you and peace uh, in Christ Jesus. And that's the greeting that we will read uh, today from the book of Peter, but it's a common greeting that the Lord, through his apostles and uh, authors of scripture, addresses to the church. And that is something that I think at the conclusion of the year and the beginning of the new year, every one of us wants to hear. If you need something, you need the Lord's grace in the year to come. And if we want something, we want the Lord's peace in the year to come. So how, do I, how did I get here? I come from Russia, as you can see, and unless it's very small probably for many of you, but anyway, there's Russia, the green, green territory. It's vast, it's huge, um, and everybody knows that. But the red dot is where I uh, was um, fulfilling my ministry for the last uh, six plus years. It's a little place called Selikamsk in the Perm region of Russia, near the Ural Mountains. I'm not in Siberia. Siberia starts kind of east of that place, um, more or less. And from there, um, in June of uh, this year, I went uh, to Kazakhstan. And you see there is a little uh, trip there that's marked. It's about 900 kilometers. And the day when uh, Mr. Prigozhin decided to uh, attack Moscow or to head his, his troops toward Moscow, my friends um, uh, basically encouraged me to consider the situation very seriously and uh, very in a short order, having talked with um, several brothers in Christ, I finally decided to um, leave Russia at that particular moment, which, which was earlier than I anticipated but uh, it seemed to be the right time. And the brother in the picture, his name is Alexander Shotkin. He offered to drive me to the border to, uh, of Kazakhstan and Russia in his car, and we made an overnight trip uh, so that I could get to the border. He's a dear brother in Christ, and I'm very sorry to have left him, but he serves the Lord there in Selikamsk. Once I got to the border, I actually had to walk across the border uh, on my feet with my suitcase, and it's a, kind of a corridor that you walk through, and uh, where it opened up you know, doors, and I was able to get into Kazakhstan, 
But then from there, uh, my journey continued because I had to uh, hire a taxi driver. And this guy, his name is Dima, and he um, took me to a major place or another city called Kastanay, where I was able to get onto a railway train uh, to continue my journey. But uh, the time that I spent with him, I was able to share the gospel with him, and I pray that the Lord would save him. Um, then in Kastanay, uh, all the tickets were sold out uh, for several months ahead. And so the lady at the cashier desk, she uh, basically said, well, you just wait until the train comes in and we see what we can do. And there's this uh, you know, uh, way that uh, people get smuggled onto trains and I felt like a, a, a person smuggled onto a train because I didn't have an official ticket. I had to basically pay out of pocket to the conductor or the, or the, the person in the railway car uh, to get this place. And uh, then uh, began my journey in a train for about a, uh, a day and a half all the way to the southern part of Kazakhstan. If you see the blue kind of uh, snake uh, following uh, all the way to the bottom, that's, that was my journey to Almaty. In Almaty, um, the, the guy on the right picture you see was the guy and his family that hosted me for the time that I was able to be there. And then the family on the left is the family of a pastor in Almaty. His name is Dennis Boris, his wife and his daughter uh, who preached the word and uh, do a great work uh, for the Lord in Kazakhstan, in Almaty. And then you see I flew from, um, uh, from Almaty to Astana, which is the modern capital of uh, Kazakhstan, a new capital. All the buildings are in that city are less than 20 years old because it was just built from scratch. And it's a very large city uh, and um, people like it or not like it. But anyway, that's how my connection was uh, flying from uh, Almaty to Tbilisi. And then from Astana, I flew from Astana to Tbilisi in Georgia. That's the country of Georgia, as you can see. And there in the picture, you see Brad and Joy Golson, uh, who were uh, people who met me at the airport and kind of showed me the ropes uh, my first uh, couple of weeks in Georgia. Uh, Joy, uh, I don't know if any of you might know her, but she is a graduate of Bob Jones, and I knew her all the way from my days at Bob Jones many years ago. What a lovely couple, and I'm indebted to their help while I was in Georgia. And then while I was in Georgia, I was able to kind of uh, participate in several um, ministry opportunities, and one of them was in a region of Georgia called Svaneti. And you see a couple uh, there, Tony and Lali Hanmer, who run a uh, guest house in Svaneti, which is a mountainous region, and the hiking path pretty much goes right in front of their guest house, and that's uh, their private business. And Tony is a British Canadian who grew up in Africa, and Lali is a Georgian by nationality, and she's a Georgian uh, lady. They got married, and uh, they're self-supporting supporting missionaries uh, in Georgia. And while I was there, I basically did some construction work on the fence that, that, that needed to be fixing, uh, or replaced rather. And through them, the Lord opened many more opportunities for me to uh, be able to teach the word of God in um, local, small local churches. Churches that very few people would ever visit. 
uh, and uh, one of those small churches was uh, in the place uh, that is marked over there. You can see it's uh, near Ahmeta, kind of a region, but uh, that's one of the small places that I was able to minister, and I would go for several weeks in a row um, uh, to teach the Word of God there. There is another church also slightly just kind of an hour, uh, hour and a half away that I was able to visit as well. And you see these uh, mostly women uh, in these uh, small churches, men. Uh, Georgia is a Russian or uh, it's a Russian Orthodox country. It's uh, that, that religion. And uh, of course they view anybody who is not a Russian Orthodox as competition. And so generally Protestant churches are um, you know, smaller uh, and in need of uh, training, uh, in need of trained people, in need of uh, truly dedicated workers for the Lord. One other place that I was able to minister was in a place called Gori. And Gori is a um, um, birthplace of Stalin. And the church that is located on the picture there, it's basically walking distance from the place where Stalin was born, where they have a large uh, park commemorating this individual. And uh, it was kind of uh, interesting to be in a church uh, so close to a place uh, of a man who tried to um, eradicate many things that true Christians believe. And I was in Georgia longer than uh, I could have expected but basically things were going very slowly uh, document-wise and those of you who got the updates uh, you probably uh, remember uh, the, the, the progression, the ups and downs. But finally in December uh, things progressed to the point where I was able to go to Baku. And in Baku, I uh, flew into Baku on the 17th of December, so just a few days ago. And then on the 19th of December, uh, I had my interview at the embassy. Uh, I was approved, I was given the approval for the visa, and on the 20th of December, the very next day, I was given the visa, and you can see me holding the documents in my hand. And that was uh, basically all very quickly falling together, and then I was trying to get over, over here. Uh, and so I took a plane from Baku to uh, Istanbul uh, in Turkey. That's the standard kind of a fly path, flying path that you go. And then from the Istanbul, Turkey, I flew all the way to San Francisco and saw the welcoming sign at San Francisco Airport, welcome to the United States of America. And then I saw uh, Rick Maddish who graciously came and met me at the airport. And so uh, through uh, all of this, uh, six, six months plus was the process, but I am very grateful to the Lord for having both kept me and given me opportunity for ministry during the time when I was thinking, well, I don't know anybody here, but the Lord has his people everywhere, and it was a, a real privilege and joy to minister to uh, those congregations and um, folks and come to know uh, the body of Christ a little better in this part of the world, in that part of the world. So now, I think I, I didn't quite manage 10 minutes, but it was more like 15. Uh, now we need to come to scripture. And uh, how about we just briefly pray and give thanks to the Lord and turn our minds toward the word of God. Gracious Father in heaven, I do thank you for your faithfulness, for your grace. 
for so many people who have contributed to the opportunity that I have now to be here and to preach and to minister. Thank you for all the prayers that were offered on my behalf. And thank you for hearing and graciously answering and granting those petitions. Lord, your name be glorified. I pray that you would bless your church everywhere, especially in the context where uh, Islam is dominant. I pray that you would encourage your body of Christ and send forth laborers into your harvest throughout the world. And now, Lord, it is our need that we would hear from you. We pray that you would open our hearts and open our ears and our understanding, not just to be able to hear what the word of God says, but to receive it. Help us to bend our hearts to obedience so that we would be not hearers who are forgetful, but doers of, we, of your will, of your word. Be with us this time. And we will give you all the great praise and honor in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today is the 31st of December, okay, unless you didn't notice. And usually this is the time when people think about one thing that I would like to offer you. And we start with this uh, lovely character called Gollum, as you know. Uh, he looks hideous, and don't be offended, that's pretty much what all of us look like on the inside when we're slaves of sin. But if you remember the episode in the book or in the movie where Bilbo Baggins meets Gollum, they start to play the game of riddles, and the cost is the life of Bilbo. And one of the riddles is this that Gollum offers. He says, this thing all thing, things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stone to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Now, if there were more kids, I would ask the kids to answer the question first. And I would just move up from there. But pretty sure there are enough Tolkien fans that you actually know the answer to the riddle. Tolkien fans? Anybody? Time. All right, there you go. So what's the answer? It's time, indeed. It's time. And so I would like to offer you a study, a consideration of God's word that basically will address the question, what is the purpose of time from God's perspective? Because time is not a commodity that we enjoy freely, autonomously of our own. Time is a gift. Life in time is given to us. And so it is our privilege to use time. And the question is, are we using our time in a way that is divinely ordained, that is right in God's terms? And before we answer that particular question and look at the text in 2 Peter 3.9, I'd like to be basically just kind of cover some um, preliminaries, some considerations that should uh, orient us better in terms of what time is. What is time? Well, 
we know from Scripture that time is a created thing. It is not, time did not exist forever. Only God exists forever. He is the only eternal being. So everything that began its existence is a creation of God. And so time is a creation of God. So time has a beginning. We read scripturally, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It has a beginning, and logically you would think that it must have an ending. Time has another interesting characteristic, and that, that, that is that it moves only forward. You can never go back in time. All kinds of things that kind of imagine people traveling backwards in time. But that has not been our experience, and that is fantasy. Time moves forward. You cannot travel back in time. And you cannot travel forward in time unless you just live up to that future. But you can only enjoy the present. Einstein, with his uh, brilliant mind, said that time is relative. And it's relative to speed. And the closer you get to the speed of light, the slower time passes. So our perception of time is very different. And you all enjoy, you all know that because when you're having a very good and enjoyable time, it kind of passes very quickly. And then when you have to wait for something, and kids have to wait for many things, they, time seems to just drag on endlessly. And they can't wait until they're 16 or and they can't wait until they're in college and they can't wait because it just seems to just crawl and one more thing that we need to know about time is that it is not inexhaustible we all are given a measure of time even not speaking of time globally or in universal terms in terms of just metaphysics for us, we know that we have a beginning in time. And we know that our life is numbered. Scripture speaks of days that are numbered, and God knows those days ahead of time. Someone said time is a historical parenthesis within eternity, and I don't know whether that helps you or not. It's just a quote that I thought would be appropriate to put on the slide. But then there is a progress of time. And when I think about time in progress, I think of a mountain. And I think of the time of the text in Galatians 4.4 4 that says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The scripture speaks of this fullness of time. And fullness, if you imagine it as if it were a glass that is full, then you have a problem. Then what happens when the fullness, you know, it just keeps overflowing. So a mountain is a better illustration for me because the Old Testament was a time preparing for that fullness. And it's as if you're trying to climb a mountain. You're going and going and going and going. And finally, you come to its peak. And that's the fullness of time. That's when Christ was incarnated and born of the Virgin Mary. That's when he lived a perfect life of obedience. That is when he died for our sins, and that is when he rose from the dead. That is the 
what, what is encompassing by the term redemption, to redeem. And he did that in the fullness of time. But we live almost 2,000 years from that time, so what's happening now? Well, it's like coming down the mountain. There is an objection, uh, an object, there is a purpose to which you're, you're, you're trying to reach, and that purpose or goal is ultimately judgment. Because God has appointed a day, and it's the last day, when God will judge all people, both living and the dead. So this fullness of time is what is uh, described as redemption. That's when redemption occurred. And finally, the second consideration that we need to uh, look at is how does God relate to time? And that is properly a subject of theology, and we won't dwell on it too heavily, but basically we need to consider how does God relate to time? And scripture is not silent on that. So in 2 Peter 3, 8, we read familiar text, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, sometimes people read just the first half of that verse, and they don't read the, the, the third line, basically, in that slide. One day is a thousand years, and they try to calculate, you know, history as if, uh, you know, uh, you can truly calculate divine history by this kind of a time clock. So there were seven days of creation. People say, well, there must be 7,000 years, you know, that people will live on this earth and all of those things. But this is not what this text is meant to actually portray. It actually combined with the last statement at a thousand years as is one day, it basically says that God has a very peculiar or different relationship to time, whereas we are bound to time. For God, there is no boundary. We know that God ordains all the times and seasons. In the book of Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, we read, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time is something that God both created and he governs. He ordained everything to be in its time. And that's what it says in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful or fitting in its time. And he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And we see that God placed eternity, which is a sense of timelessness, in the heart of all of us who are bound by time. And I'm sure there is a rich meditation for what that means. And one of the things that means that nothing that can be measured in time can fill the heart that is made for eternity. It just cannot be done. So God and time, well, we start with the name of God. And the name of God comes from the verb to be or to exist. He reveals himself to Moses as I am that I am. I am, I am the existing one. And Jehovah, that transliteration that we've adopted as the name of God, means literally he is. 
what an insult it is for atheism, the one being that always is, to say he does not even exist. God is eternal. And by eternal, I do not mean the way that we think of time, that he, you, know, you can measure him all the way in the past, and then you know, he will forever exist in the future. I mean he is ever-present. God exists outside of time because he created time, but time exists within God. God is not limited by time, and he rules this creation perfectly. And so when I try to visualize what that all means, then you know, I try to come up with these schemes and, or uh, schematics. And if God is you know, to be pictured in a triangle as a triune uh, being, then time in orange is something that is truly separate from him. He is not bound to it. He is not limited to it. Time, in that sense, exists apart from God, but not autonom uh, autonomously. And that's what the second uh, illustration on the right uh, side uh, of the slide communicates, is that time is within God. God surpasses time. And that means that there is no time when God is not. And there never shall be forever. So those preliminaries, I hope they orient us more fully to what we're dealing with. But for us, there is actually a very simple question that we must answer simple in terms of Scripture. Scripture very clearly addresses this question. What is God's purpose for this creation that we call time. And that is when we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And I invite you to look at this particular text in this chapter. But in verse 9, we read, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, says in verse 15. So even from a surface reading of this text, if you just uh, you know, answer the question, what is the purpose of time, what would you say? What would you say is the purpose of time based upon this text? It has to do with salvation. And it has to do with repentance. And that is essentially what God's purpose for time is. And let us now meditate on this truth so we can draw some very practical applications for our lives. The purpose of time is salvation, and that means that salvation needs to be accomplished by God. And we are, we are reading this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That is the culmination of time. Redemption was, occurred at the fullness of time, and so if everything is measured by that bracket, then that is the ultimate goal. God wanted time so that he could redeem those who are in need of redemption. Time exists so that God would save people. 
And that is remarkable. And you can read of God measuring the ages, and you can basically calculate the timing of Christ's coming and death from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, where God basically marks in these periods of seven, seven years all the time that was supposed to occur prior to the coming of the Messiah and his death. Christ had already accomplished our redemption almost 2,000 years ago. So we're not waiting for this to occur. We know that we enjoy the benefits of God's redemption. But God's redemption does not save people automatically. And that is why time exists so that in time, people would be able to preach the gospel, to bear the gospel witness to people who have not heard, who are in need of hearing of that redemption. And that is what scripture actually says, that the humanity, the history of mankind is tied to the preaching of the gospel. The end will not come until the preaching of the gospel encompasses the whole world. In Matthew 24, 14, we see, we see that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If time cannot end until the preaching of the gospel is accomplished, then time is given for the preaching of the gospel, right? That is what time exists for. My question to every one of us, how much time do we use for the preaching of the gospel? Yes, preachers do that on a Sunday. But if preachers were the only people who would proclaim the gospel only in secluded churches, how many people would hear the gospel? Would you hear the gospel? That places the responsibility of preaching the gospel or bearing the gospel witness on all of us. It is our responsibility to use the time that God has given us on this earth to proclaim the gospel, to do this both in our local community, to participate in extended mission trips, trips perhaps going to the ends of the world, because unless the gospel is preached, time is not used properly. We read in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a remarkable promise. The problem is not with that not working. The problem is how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not never, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And it behooves every one of us to examine our life. This year is gone, almost. How many people heard the gospel from your lips this year? Would you not blush before the Lord if that were the question that he would pose to all of us? 
And if God extends his grace to us for the year to come, year 2024, Anno Domini, Domini, from the year of our Lord, when we proclaim this gospel this year, the year 2024, needs to be the year for preaching the gospel. It needs to be one year when all of us will remember that God gives you this year for many things, but the primary objective for time is that people who have not heard the gospel would hear the gospel. And even this year is not too late. You can reach out to your loved ones. You can reach to your neighbors. You can call someone today and encourage them, congratulate them with the upcoming year, maybe read them a passage of scripture and try to direct this conversation to share the good news of Christ with them. Because the preaching of the gospel is not the end, God anticipates something to occur when the gospel is preached. And that's why we read in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his purpose, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so if there is time, Scripture says that God gives time so that people would hear, and those who hear would repent. How many days have you heard the gospel? If you're here and you do not know Christ, it is past time to having heard the gospel, to finally repent, to finally yield to Christ, to hear his call, come to me and I will give you rest, to finally receive that forgiveness that God is willing and ready to grant you. Would you bless, uh, if you would just repent. And time is given to those who have repented that we would grow in our salvation. Second Peter chapter 3 is a remarkable chapter and it concludes with this particular statement. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Time is given so that you, if you are a Christian, would grow. I came back after almost two year period uh, having been absent, met a young lady who has grown. She was a tiny little thing, I guess, when I was here last, and she's a beautiful young, young lady today. People grow. It takes time to grow. But growth, from a Christian standpoint, is not something that occurs automatically. It needs to be intentional. 
Yeah, you cannot make yourself grow any more than you can make the tree grow or anybody else grow. But you can provide environment where growth is most conducive, it's most expected. And so the year 2024, will it be a year of growth in grace and the knowledge of Christ for you? Will you use the time that God gives for that divinely approved purpose? In the year 2024, there will be 365 days when you can read God's word. When you can look at scripture and spend quality time meditating on God's word. It won't happen if you don't do it. If you won't be intentional with it. If you didn't do it this past year, you know how the next year will go unless you change something in your life. And being busy and being you know, tired or not wanting to read the Bible in any particular moment is not a compliment to us. It's a testimony to our sinfulness. So let us take the time daily to study God's word, to draw nigh unto the Lord. God gives you time, and he gives you time to read his word, and he gives you time to pray. That is another grace that we must exercise in order to grow. Let us make the year to come a time of growth by truly abiding in God's word and learning to grow in prayer, increase, improve, so that there is a marked difference from you when you were five years ago as a Christian to what you will be in the upcoming year. Things that diminish our appetite for these things, for scripture, for prayer, are just plain wrong. They're your worst enemies. Your enemy of your soul is not some hideous demon, you know, that you never actually visualize or see. It's those entertainments that just snap away hours of your life out of, of your existence. And I'm not against entertainment as such, but when those things take over and they compete with our time that we can invest in God's word, our appetite for scriptural truths, those things are your enemies. They must be dealt with. And I recommend the, the, the way we deal with temptation is the way God commanded Joshua to deal with the peoples that uh, lived in the promised land. You have to exterminate everything. If you leave a measure of something that is sinful in your life, it will sprout new growth, it will grow deeper, it will push its roots deeper into your soul, it will take over if it can. And it is our responsibility to fight that in the Lord. Jonathan Edwards is a famous name, supposed to be or called one of the most brilliant minds America has ever produced. Well, when he was a young man of uh, 1920, and those are the resolutions that he made, and he was clever enough to keep track of time. 
He said, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution seven, resolve never to do anything which I could be or should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. And you can read through those re resolutions. Uh, they're freely available for, your, uh, for you to benefit from. But scripture teaches us the same thing, to consider time a valuable thing. In Ephesians 5.15, we read, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's why we're looking at this particular subject. We need to understand that time has something that God wills for us. We don't just exist in time. We don't just use it freely. We, by usage of our time, we either please the Lord and do His will, or we displease Him and actually sin. In order to sin, all you need to do is to use the time wrongly. It's not just, you know, some blatant rebellion against the Lord that we need to do. It's an impossible task. I, I fight with time every time I preach. Pulpits are time machines. For you, the time goes slowly. You're like, okay, when are we done? And we're going to be done soon enough. But for me, it passes twice as fast. I'm like, I got to say this and I got to say that. And I always lose because there's always more to say. But we need to redeem the time. And it's what wisdom calls for. We are fools if we waste away the time that God gives us. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom toward the outsiders, making the best use of the time. So, the conclusions we must make are twofold. If time is meant for salvation, when is it a good time to be saved? Well, the Bible tells you that too. 2 Corinthians 6, 4, it says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is what we can tell to every one of our loved ones our neighbors, anybody that we know. The best time to be saved is right now. And God will save you now if you call upon him in repentance and faith. And if you're hearing this sermon and you're here and you're like saying, I don't understand what that means, please, after the service, hunt me down, get me, and I will tell you what this means. How now can be your time of salvation by faith in Christ? And for those of you who are saved, there is a vast application. And I would draw from the uh, famous hymn that we actually sing around the new year. The sands of time are sinking. This hymn is written by um, Anne, Mrs. Anne Boss Cousin. 
and it's based upon the words on the dying words of Samuel Rutherford, who was a pastor in a place called Anworth. And when he looked at this place, and he had a, an interesting story to go with it, but we're just going to look at the poem. Fair Anworth by the Salt Lake, to me thou shalt be, uh, thou still art dear, even when the verge of heaven I drop for thee is here. Oh, if one soul from Anworth meet me at God's right hands, my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. To be saved is a blessing that we can never express in words. But do you know what rivals that blessing? It's the joy of knowing that through your witness, God saved someone else. In the ways of that poem, to me, a heaven will be two heavens. If one more soul comes to Christ through my life. And the more I live, the more I try to teach myself to measure my life in those terms. Who did God save through your life? I can name a person that witnessed to me. His name is Stas Dobre. He talked to me as a young teenager. He invited me to come to church where I heard the gospel explained more fully. I know the man that witnessed to me, and I'm, I, I'm internally grateful for his courage to tell me the gospel. That joy could be your joy. There is nothing harder than trying to come up with a way to be creative, to explain the truth of the gospel to a person who is blind and deaf, according to Scripture. But there is no greater joy than to see that God would work through the words of God as a seed that takes root and then sprouts. And they will forever know Christ. They will forever be in glory because of that witness. So, dear people, what is God's purpose for time? It is that all should reach repentance. And let us teach ourselves to have that biblical perspective on time. Let's count the patience of our Lord as salvation, as your salvation, and as salvation of those to whom we will bear gospel and witness. Amen. Let us pray.